people are wired for contribution and people crave impact. And I really do think that the antidote to the burnout that so many people are experiencing right now is not about reducing our workload. It's about increasing our contribution and our impact, getting more than the time we spend at work. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi there, listeners of the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. I'm running a little competition as we're trying to get more people to discover this podcast and the work that inspires those to sell with love more. And the best way to do this is to leave reviews, both on Spotify and on Apple Podcast. And for those of you who leave a review when listening to this episode, I would ask you to take a screenshot of your review and send it to me at jason at jasonmarkcampbell.com. And in doing so, I'm going to give you a set of meditations that you can use to get into the state of selling with love, whether it's connecting with your buyer, affirmations before making calls, or any kind of outreach, these will empower you to be feeling powerful and to be able to do it from a place of love. It is a reward for supporting the show, being a loyal listener, and of course, being able to give more to my amazing audience. Thank you for always showing up, listening, and being inspired by the amazing guests that I get to interview and I get to share their message with you. So again, just leave a review. Take a screenshot of the review. This can be done on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts and email it directly to me, jason at jasonmarkcampbell.com. Thank you, and now let's get started with our episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. Whoa. I have a legend today who's coming on the show to talk about something that is so relevant for all you business owners. This might apply to you if you're an individual that's always been impact focus, or maybe you're a business owner that really is looking to make a difference in the world and you're trying to bring more people on your team as well. How do you start sourcing the kind of talent that don't just follow the job description, but really make a difference, look for white space and really are there to amplify the business. And maybe you've just possibly left your current job. Maybe you're looking for new opportunities or maybe within the company you're working now, you're trying to step up in a big way. What does that look like and how can you do it in a way that truly serves is what we're going to be discussing today. Liz Wiseman is the CEO of the Wiseman Group, which is a leadership research and development firm headquartered in the Silicon Valley. She is the author of New York Times bestseller, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, The Multiplier Effect, and Rookie Smarts. And she's just recently released Impact Players, How to Take the Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Selling with Love methodology, we know that the first love in Selling with Love is Love the Impact. It's by no accident that we have Liz on the show today sharing with us. It's going to be an amazing session. Liz, thank you so much for being here and thank you for joining. Oh, I'm excited to be here. And I love this idea of selling with impact. So looking forward to talking about this. It's so key. And, you know, when I first started talking about these concepts, impact wasn't even there. 
And it's only when I looked at my material, I was like, oh my God, no, that's where everything starts. And in your case, you really are helping companies and individuals step into a place where they're making more impact. But I feel like that's not the reality of how most people step up and how most companies operate. So I'd love for you to maybe lay the land as to what's happening right now that made it so that we needed to bring more awareness to impact players. Some of it can be framed in what's going on in the world with exhaustion and burnout. And it's so easy to look at the great resignation, the great reshuffling, and conclude that people are working too hard. And so therefore we need to back off. We need to take our foot off of the accelerator and give people time off, reduce people's workload. I'm not against a little R&R. &R. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that you know people shouldn't take a breather or time off when they need to. But all of my research around what the best leaders do, what high-performing teams do, what high-impact individuals do, tell me that people don't burn out because they're working too hard. People burn out because they're having too little impact, meaning they're working hard, but they're not making a difference. Their work isn't seen. They're not getting progress or traction. When you keep working hard and you miss the target or your work isn't creating value for others and for you, work is miserable. It drains us. And also studying the kind of leaders who deeply utilize people's capability, leaders that I call multipliers, we see people describe working for these leaders as like, man, I was giving 100% of my capability. They got everything that I had. Man, work was tiring. And it was a little bit exhausting, but it was totally exhilarating. It's like that great workout where you leave a little bit tired. Or for me, it's like hiking where I'm like, oh, oh, I'm breaking a sweat. Like I'm working hard, but yet I feel great. And on the contrary, people describe working for what I call these diminishing leaders as, man, they were getting a fraction of my capability. I'm working at half mast right now, and it is exhausting. I really think people are wired for contribution and people crave impact. And I really do think that the antidote the burnout that so many people are experiencing right now is not about reducing our workload. It's about increasing our contribution and our impact, getting more from the time we spend at work. Wow, I couldn't agree more. And it's so relevant to thinking back in times where I was so excited about the work that I did. I mentioned, you know, before we started recording that while I worked at Mind Valley, your work on multipliers was significantly used in our manager and leader training. And now I just think back when you're speaking about impact, one of my first weeks when I was there, I was given responsibility for an entire department of Mind Valley that was very white space. Like there was not a lot of development there. There was not a lot of people putting eyeballs on it. And I was alone to jump into managing an entire revenue stream. And Liz, I remember spending the night in the office because I was doing a launch and there was a session that had to happen at six in the morning and I had to finalize all the pieces. I stayed up all night. I slept in the office. I woke up early. I hosted it myself. This was some of my favorite time working there. And if I can think of my time, that was the least excited that I worked there. And I have eventually left Mind Valley. quite frankly, is when I stopped being in part of the culture. I was still working on projects that nobody was really paying attention to. I was kind of separating myself 
the whole COVID situation being remote certainly didn't help, which is a bit where I want to highlight what's been going on because it's almost like now that we've all worked remotely, yay, we're working from home. This is great, but it seems there's a lot less visibility and recognition for any of the little things that we work on. How has that played a part in a lot of what we're seeing now around the great resignation? Well, you know, I think visibility is the key word. And I think we can look at it from a lot of angles. When we work remotely, it's sometimes hard to know what's important. So like the practice of impact players, it starts with this difference between doing your job, which is what ordinary contributors do, and doing the job that needs to be done. When I think back on my years at Oracle, the 17 years I spent there, the most valuable work I did was never in my job description. It was always when I sense that there is something important happening and there's a place where I can contribute. In fact, places sometimes where I invited myself to meetings. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, well, I'm not officially invited to this meeting, but I think I can make an important contribution here. Let me show up and offer my assistance. And it's like about sensing heat in organizations where what's important and what's important right now? And can I find a match between what's important and what I can contribute, can I get into that heat, that hot seat in some ways? And to do that, you need visibility into what's going on, what's important. And you know, what's important right now, I call it the win, is rarely published. And it's some combination of what's written and what's formal and what is sensed. And when we don't have visibility into where the heat is, we're like working hard, but we're missing the target. We're all thrust, but no vector. And when we work remote, others don't have visibility into what we're doing. Think of a job like you're a financial analyst inside a company, and you've just done this cost analysis, and maybe you're analyzing the profitability for different product lines. You do your work, you send it off. In an office situation, you do your work and someone says, hey, thanks for that report. I got it. I need that for the Thursday meeting, hey, at a girl. And then maybe on Friday or, you know, maybe next week on Tuesday, you run into the person you sent it to and they're like, oh, hey, Liz, you know that report you sent? It came up in the meeting, we used it and we decided to divest from this one product line and double down our investment here. Like that really helped us. Those are the kinds of casual causality we tend to get in person that we miss. Like we send off our report, someone says, got it, thanks. And we don't hear back. Like you don't, think, look back and tell Jason that the work he did was useful. It mattered. And so we're not seeing the visibility into what happens to our work, those chain reactions of I did something and something good happened for them. We're not seeing what our customers need. We're not seeing like, oh man, I sent this thing and my customer was able to do something valuable. And there's a lot of people who can go unseen where senior leaders might see and hear the loudest people, but the loudest people aren't always the most valuable or those making the most valuable contribution. In fact, sometimes it's the inverse. And I say that as a fairly loud person. <laughs> well, I have to admit, I'm possibly also a very loud person, which actually sometimes has led me into trouble, especially if we're talking about this kind of self-responsibility you spoke about, finding that heat and then bringing up initiative and inviting yourself into certain areas. I wanted to talk a bit about the dark side of that because I've had times where 
as someone who wanted to make a bigger difference, who wanted to make a bigger impact, I got involved in projects that kind of started stepping on other people's toes or pushing forward an initiative that might not have been the heat of the moment and might have been more of a distraction than anything else. And so I wanted to speak more about what are things I can do individually to make me a better target seeker when it comes to the things that I should put some energy in to actually make a difference. The metaphor that I always get is, and maybe this is because I live too busy of a life, you know, I'm always jamming together too many things. And if I'm having a party at my house and somebody arrives early, and I want you to just think of the difference between somebody who arrives early and says, hey, Jason, what can I do? Give me a job. And they're following you around the kitchen as you're like trying to do last minute preparations. And now suddenly they're a burden to you. You've got to like instruct them on how to do things. Or they're like, hey, Jason, I'm going to set up the table this because I really love it when like conversation is set up this way and they're rearranging your chairs like they're taking over your party and they're doing it while you're overwhelmed and strapped. Okay, think about that person who just volunteered to help, but took over or was needy in their help. I always hate it when I get these offers. Someone comes into the kitchen at the lesson. I'm like, oh, not help. Versus the person who comes in and says, hey, Jason, you know what, would it be helpful if I set the table for you? Or how do you want conversation to happen? Or would you like me to put the chairs in a circle? Or I've seen that what we need is this. I'm going to go ahead and carry these all out to the table. They're, they're taking initiative and they're helping, but they're on your agenda. And they're doing it in a way that they're easy to work for. They're not creating more work. And it has everything to do, which is, are you seeing what's happening around you? And are you looking for ways that you can help somebody else accomplish their objectives? Or are you trying to insert your objectives on them? And the little metaphor I use in the book is just the agenda. Like, are you working on the agenda or are you trying to push your own agenda? We resent people who invite themselves to a party and then push their agenda. But we love it when people invite themselves in and say, I see what you're trying to do and can I help you get this done? Totally different ways of being helpful and impactful. Yeah, that metaphor kind of lays it out. The intentionality makes a big, big difference. And you're right, in the times that I might not have came with the support of the agenda as much, it was because I had my own agenda in mind. I had my own validation I wanted to bring forward. It wasn't about the impact for the company as much as it was the needs that I had. And I think that makes that distinction very, very specific. And so if I'm in the company and I know that I wanna be able to do that, paying attention to the cues of what's the current agenda, what's currently happening, and making sure that whatever it is that I provide as help is not a burden to whoever's already feeling overwhelmed, but really is taking a load off their plate. I wanted to talk a bit about the other side of the coin, which were the responsibilities that leaders must take when it comes to acknowledging the impact of others. And this was the other part of the conversation where it's like, okay, we're not getting that visibility as much anymore. We're not having that water cooler chat as we speak about when we're in office. Although some of the things are coming back to quote unquote normal, but we still have a lot of remote work that's gonna be here to stay. And so what are things we can do as leader to acknowledge impact of others and also make it so that they feel safe and that it is encouraged for people to step up this way? I think it starts with helping people see the agenda and what's important. First of all, the agenda 
of every organization that I've ever worked in has never been crystal clear. It's one thing I've learned in the corporate world, in a small business, is don't expect anyone to serve this to you on a platter. Hey, Liz, you know what? This is what's most important right now. Here's how you can be useful. So the contributor has to figure some of that out. But times when things are uncertain and changing, this is like the first job of the leader is to say, here's what's happening and here's what's happening right now. And there are some things we don't know, but there are things that we know. And this is where you can contribute and add value. It's helping people see what that target looks like because we are working in a world where the targets are moving and we're shooting at moving targets. And it's very easy for people to stop taking shots at things saying like, I'll wait till things are stable. So helping people see, here's where you can contribute. Here's what's important. And then helping people see how their work connects back to that. Even if it's just like, wow, you did this piece of work and here's the thing that happened as a result. Yeah, I think making sure that that feedback loop is definitely made. And my God, are you so accurate when it comes to the agenda? Even if we have our company priorities, sometimes they're not even the true agenda. They're almost like a facade. We're trying our best to bring the agenda forward, but it's never crystal clear. Why do you think it's so much that we're having this difficulty between really communicating that agenda? And are there some organizations that you've seen use tools that make it much more effective at bringing it forward? Well, I think organizations that establish strategic intent work better than here's specific objectives and goals, which is like, this is the state we're trying to get to. This is what we intend to do. And we're looking for things that move us closer to that intent. So actually, I think organizations that keep that loose, you know, people like, oh, yeah, I can see how the work I do. If I take this action, it's helping toward that. Now, I know in impact players, you really talk about the types of traits that you could nurture to be able to be an impact player, to be able to be someone that makes a bigger difference, that shows up fully. And of course, these are things that we can nurture as a leader or as an individual, even if we feel like, oh, I'm limited in impact just out of my position. Or if we're working alone, I think there's still some traits we should be looking to nurture. So could you tell us more about what are the specific things we could nurture to be more of an impact player? Here are the five things I found that impact players tend to do different than ordinary contributors. And it really comes down to how they handle situations that are fraught with uncertainty and ambiguity because the ordinary contributor from the 170 managers that I interviewed, as they described the ordinary contributor, these are people who do their job. They take direction, they're focused, they carry their weight on teams. They take responsibility for things. But when things get ambiguous and uncertain and chaotic and out of their control, they tend to fall short. They tend to stop. And this is what impact players do differently. When problems are messy, it's not his job, her job, anyone's job. The contributor's doing their job, their piece, whereas the impact player is figuring out the job that needs to be done. And they, it's not like they ignore their job. The metaphor I like to think of is their job is a base camp. This is where like I kind of hang out and I do this so that when there's a problem like up mountain, I can go out and get it. But I'm not limited by this. When roles are unclear, most people are waiting for direction. Like, okay, somebody above us tell us who's in charge or somebody anoint me, knight me so I can be in charge. Whereas the impact players, when they see this 
leadership vacuum. Like, okay, we've got a bunch of people willing to contribute, but somebody needs to take the lead. They step in and they take the lead, but they don't stay there. It's not like, well, I always have to be the leader. It's I'm willing to lead when it serves the group, but when my service is rendered, I step back. And I don't mean step down from your job as the VP. I just mean that you don't always have to be the boss. You can follow as passionately as you can lead. You know, the third difference is how people deal with the unforeseen obstacles, like things you couldn't have planned for. And the ordinary contributor tends to escalate those issues up. They hand off those problems to those above them, whereas the impact player just holds on to ownership. And in some ways, instead of handing it to higher ups, they get the higher ups working for them okay, you know what, guys, this is what I need. I need this from you. I need so-and-so to come in. But they maintain control of that. The fourth difference is how they deal with the moving targets. The ordinary contributor mindset is to keep shooting at the target, whereas the impact player mindset is ask. Ask for feedback. Ask for guidance. It's like a mentality of wake up every morning, assuming that while you were sleeping, the world changed, something happened, and our priorities changed, our target changed, and how do I need to recalibrate my work and my approach to stay on target? And the last big difference is how they handle just the unrelenting demands I think we all feel, like there's more work than I can humanly do. And you know, while others are looking for help and adding to the burden, the impact player is like, how do I make work light? Jason is running behind. People are coming to his house for a party. What can I do to make work light for him? And it really has everything to do with how we deal with ambiguity and uncertainty. And if I could maybe perhaps oversimplify it, it's do we look at that as a threat and move away from it like a big oncoming wave? And I'm like, ooh, get back to shore, run to safety. Or do I look at that wave and say, you know what, the best way to deal with a big wave that feels powerful and bigger than me is to dive into it and through it and get to the other side. And that is what impact players do. They're looking at that as an opportunity. It's like, hmm, okay, we weren't planning for this, but how might this problem actually become the opportunity we need to rethink this? Okay, we don't have a leader. This is an opportunity for me to step up and lead. That's a messy problem. Oh man, this is actually an opportunity for me to add value on what's most important. It's reframing all of this as an opportunity. Liz, as you're listing out these traits, they're so powerful. And you know, I can just think of one of the people that works with me. His name's Randall. He's actually the one who edits all the podcast episodes and these videos. And he's one of these types of people that's always taking initiative and he's sending me these ideas of innovations he's bringing in. He's adding more graphics and things to the things that he edits, which is above and beyond the kind of scope that I gave him. And that's just a small example of why I love working with these kinds of people. And of course, since we talk about giving praise and appreciation, Randall, I do want to give you a bit of praise here on the podcast. You're amazing. And for everybody who's enjoying these episodes, know that this is the individual behind the scenes who's making it all happen. But I have to say, Liz, they seem like a rare breed. Like there's so many times that I've hired people or I had to work on a team. And yeah, these were not impact players. So is there a responsibility that I need to take 
to enable someone to step up to become an impact player? Or should I be able to discern some individuals are not and some people are? Yeah, there's a couple ways to look at this. Like, yes, you can look at it as like, oh, these impact players are rare. How do we find them? How do we spearfish them? And the book does a pretty good job laying out here are the things that you look for. And I'm spending a lot of my time right now putting tools together to help companies and managers hire people with this mindset. However, it's a mindset, not a person we're looking for. And we know we can change and develop our mindset. So I don't know that I think of it as rare. I think of it as this is a mindset that some people operate in all the time, even with the worst diminishing jerk bosses, they're still going to work this way. And then other people in the right environment, they work with this mindset in an environment that's maybe feels like risky, a little bit toxic, oppressive. It's hard for them to work this way. So I think about what can organizations do to create an environment where people can work this way? Because what I've learned from studying the best leaders, the worst leaders, is that people are wired for contribution and they crave impact. We want to work this way. Very few people say, you know, I want to be a position holder in an organization. Most people want to be a difference maker, not a position holder. And so we want these things. We're naturally motivated by them. And in some ways, it's like, how do we give ourselves permission to work this way? And I think if managers want these kinds of people on your team, yes, you can kind of get a leg up by hiring people who already think and work this way. But there's a lot that managers can do to create an environment that says you don't need to be the formal boss to be the boss of that meeting. And you don't have to always be a boss for us to value your contribution. Let the leadership roles rotate among people, kind of like we did when we were in elementary school. And we all took turns being the line leader, the somebody erased the chalkboard, and we shared those leadership roles. We can do a lot to create that environment. And if I could boil it down, I would probably say the environment people need to be difference makers and to be impact players is they need an environment that's like dual, two parts, one part safety, one part stretch, meaning people have like the safety to ask important questions. People feel safe to venture out of their jobs, to raise their hand and say, I know this isn't my job, but I think I could be helpful here. People feel safe to say, you know what? It looks like this goal that we've been after, like maybe we need to refresh that. And it's this kind of assumptiveness that people need permission to do. So people need safety. However, they also need stretch. And it's stretch to say like, no, you know what? We don't want you to just do the minimum. We're asking you to show up and do something impactful and brilliant and bold. And so it's leaders who have enough confidence in the intelligence and raw capability and drive of their team to say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not looking for average here. We're looking for amazing. Go ahead and be amazing. Do something amazing. I expect you to not just do the things you're asked to do. It's like you see something, say something, see a problem, fix a problem. And I find that this equilibrium between safety and stretch is where people tend to do their best work. I mean, think about it. Think about a time you've worked for a manager who's all stretch, no safety. 
Like, what's that experience like? Well, it causes anxiety, but you're doing some crazy things and it might lead you possibly to burnout, but you don't feel like they have your back and you, nothing's good enough. And so you can work, 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 and then you have to cry yourself to sleep at night. It's <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Okay, but then think about the opposite, which is now imagine you're working for a boss who's all safety, no stretch. All this, we love you. You're great. We appreciate you. I think you're awesome. We languish. We're actually miserable around these leaders because there's no growth in that. And essentially, like the messaging is like, mm, we think you're great, but we also think this is all that you can do. But man, you put these two forces together and people do amazing work. I really feel like people want to be impact players. And maybe it's rare that there's an environment that says, play big, take the lead. Don't wait to be asked. Go after things that make sense. I love this. And I actually, as you describe this, I notice the flaws that I've had as a manager where I actually would try to create this cocoon safe environment for the employees. But that wasn't that because I was trying to take care of them is because I didn't have faith in their competence to be able to take on responsibilities and to stretch them. And so that was my own limitations, not being a leader, but just trying to see them as someone holding a spot. And I held them back from flourishing. And I think this trust to lead them to stretch and realizing that I had that safety there for them, that I could have unleashed so much more from them, I think would have made a big difference in the way that I operated the department back when I was there. I've made those same mistakes. <laughs> Jason, I've made those same mistakes and the pandemic brought some of this out as people were like, I feel overwhelmed. And I'm like, don't worry your pretty little head. I'll do the hard work. You do the easy stuff. And it wasn't like I just assumed that. People would be like, Liz, I'm so overwhelmed right now. I can't do anything hard. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll do the hard stuff. Like you've got little kids at home. You do the easy stuff. And I became this diminisher to my team. And I've had to knock myself and say, okay, safety and stretch. Mm -hmm. It's such a powerful combination. And now that you've given us that awareness of this, there's so much we've covered already today. I just want to say thank you because I think you make us challenge a lot of the ideas of what does it mean to show up fully for someone making an impact. And whether the listener here is somebody coming from a place of leading a team, starting their own company, being an employee within an organization, we've been able to touch on topics from every perspective to allow us to have tools that we can use to think differently. And what I really want to encourage everybody here listening is in the show notes, we're actually going to create a link to go and get a copy of Impact Players, How to Take the Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact. Liz has a suite of books and concepts that can allow you to lead better, to grow your business better, to empower your employees. And I've seen glimpses of the brilliance that happens when you start applying some of the concepts that Liz speaks about. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you feel like you're carrying the whole weight on your shoulder, you might realize that you can actually be playing a better position yourself when you're leading your team, empowering them because you want people to feel empowered, you want people to retain, you want people to actually help you with the work that needs to be done. When you start applying the principles that she shares, you realize that you have so many people on your team who are just waiting for that opportunity to step up into becoming an impact player and you might be the one holding them back as well. Liz, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time and sharing with everyone. And there is a little question I like to ask some of my guests towards the end of the interviews, which is you are on the Selling with Love podcast. And I wanted to ask you, what does Selling with Love mean to you? 
I love that concept and it would be very easy to jump to, well, it's selling something you love. And I actually think it's about loving the people that you sell to and serve. If we have time for a quick story, for me, it was a very humbling moment. I was working at Oracle and I had this colleague who used to work for me and was now up here and she was making everybody crazy very driven, but like she would always get the job done, but there was blood on the floor. You know, she kind of tortured people to get done. Everyone's coming to me. Oh, this person's making me crazy. Can you fix this problem? This person's making me crazy. I had just come back from maternity leave. I had just had my fourth child, my son, Joshua. And I'm like, oh God, this isn't what I need. So I went to talk to my boss about how this person was creating grief for everyone. And we actually tried to hire a coach for this person. And we brought in a few external coaches and they all came back, which is, mm, I'm not sure this person's coachable. So this is feeling dire. And so my boss, John, he said to me, he said, Liz, can you coach her? And he said, do you think you could coach her and look at her the way you look at Joshua? And I'm like, what? My little two-month-old chubby little baby who's all new and pink and not a scar on him like you mean that and at first I just thought what he was asking was outrageous and I thought about it I thought about it and I'm like what he's asking me to do is could I look at this person and just love her and see nothing but potential and goodness and possibility in her and for me it really reframed something and I'm like you know what I can do that I can do that. That's going to be hard, but I want to do that. And the only real difference we make is when we can look at someone and see potential and possibility, not problem. And it really is about loving the people we work with. I've never been able to be a good coach to someone I didn't love. I don't know that I could ever really do a good job creating value for someone that I couldn't find love in them. And I think maybe that's what for me, selling with love is, is loving the person that you're trying to create value for. I love this story. And I think your point is spot on. Thank you so much for being on the show. You are a wonderful guest. Everybody, once again, go and pick up a copy of Impact Players, How to Take the Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact. Link will be in the show notes. And thank you all for tuning in. This has been Selling with Love Podcast. And until next time. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.